Welcome to today's Power Up Your Presence podcast. I'm Diane Craig. And I'm Sandra Corelli. We have designed each and every episode to help you power up, step up, and lead up your presence. A mix of stories, tips, insights, and conversations with trailblazers who speak candidly about their journey to leadership. In this episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Kathleen Reardon on how we can work together to empower women. Dr. Kathleen Reardon is a professor emerita of management and organization at the University of Southern California. She's a leading authority on persuasion, leadership, workplace politics, and gender issues. Dr. Reardon is the author of 10 books and numerous articles published in journals, including articles in the Harvard Business Review. She authored the HBR reprint bestseller, The Memo Every Woman Keeps in Her Desk, and Courage as a Skill. Dr. Reardon earned her MA and PhD, summa cum laude, and with distinction from the University of Massachusetts. We have been collaborating with Dr. Reardon for the past five years, and it's wonderful to have her on today's show. Hello, Kathleen. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. We're so happy to have you join us today. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. And I know we've been working together for quite some time now, but I would love for you to share with our listeners what inspires you about your work. Well, my work, uh, whether whether it's writing or um, a book or whether it's blogging or or it, whether it's painting, um, I think for me there's always that quest for insight, you know, the quest to see beyond the surface of things, to to find something new, to see something differently, uh, and then also also to share that with other people and to get their feedback. So the conversation to me is really important as well. So uh, keeping your mind open to to what other people's thoughts are and how they might be inspired what you by what you've said or or you by what they've said, and so it's a, a mutual endeavor at that point when the t- when there's a just not just me, you know, with my paintbrush, but uh, but other people involved in the conversation, and to be able to share those insights with them and spark different conversations. Yeah, I think that's I think becoming a professor. You know, you do that in part because uh, that's what you want to do. You want to share what you've learned and and also also learn back from them. And in a lot of the research and the writing that you've done, gender issues is one of the topics that you've focused on. So what would you say is the difference between gender equality and women's empowerment? Well, we tend to think of gender equality. I mean, that gender equality is, is part of our empowerment, but we tend to think of it in terms of uh, um, equal pay and uh, promotions, whereas I think uh, empowerment's a broader term and a larger goal. And that would have to do with, you know, us being heard, really, uh, uh, establishing our own power and not being the least bit deterred because we're women about having power, uh, having confidence and, you know, just busting through some of those stereotypes that uh, hold us back that are for a lot of people uh, unconscious. And so it's up to us sometimes to help people recognize that those stereotypes just don't hold. 
and strategies to build their confidence and really step into their power so that they feel empowered for the work that they want to do. So important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want, I, and I emphasize that part about power too, because uh, a lot of women are uncomfortable with power. Uh, something unfeminine about it for, for many women. But the fact is, if you want to get ahead, you have to learn that power is not a negative thing, that power is something that everyone who gets ahead does have. And the only trouble with power is the abuse of it. Hmm. You know, Kathleen, um, when you talk about being heard and having confidence, um, can you share with us uh, a little bit about your own path to empowerment and what stood out? Uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Well, I remember a professor of mine. Uh, I had graduated early from uh, the University of Connecticut where I got my um, undergraduate degree. And so I was a little bit on the young side for graduate school and uh, everybody in the room was male except for a woman who was my former professor. Well, I was kind of quiet in the beginning. Um, I wrote a paper and I went to get it and, and the professor gave it to me. Her name was Jane Blankenship and she, uh, it had an A on it. So I said, thank you. And she said, don't thank me and don't come to class on Monday. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's what I said. And I, I said, what do you mean? And she's, well, if you can write like that, I don't know why you're so quiet. Unless you're trying to date everybody in the class or you just don't have any confidence, in which in both cases, we don't need you in class. And I said, well, I, I don't know, just a minute. She said, well, just let me just say it. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. And I said to her, I can take the heat. And she said, well, I guess we'll see on Monday. And wow. I think that was a turning point for me. I know that was a turning point for me. She hardly remembers it, you know, when I'm talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a, quite a day that day, wasn't I? But, you know, it was important. And other people have said things to me uh, that have opened my eyes at times to the realization that uh, that it's, I'm, I'm there to contribute and we're all there to contribute. And there's no reason to apologize for that. And that everyone is going to make mistakes. So if that's what you're worried about, well, you know, welcome to everyone else's world. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's all right to speak up. And we often say that, you know, experts speak with such conviction and they're not always right. right? <laughs> so it's important to, to, to speak up our mind and know that we have the right to do yeah. that. Uh, in Kathleen, some of the sessions that, in some of the sessions that I do, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Sorry, no, but, no, no, no. Uh, I'll ask women to, especially women, to stand up and say something with conviction. It could be uh, it's going to rain today. And a woman might hmm. say, well, I think it's going to rain today. And I'll look at the group and say, was that sufficient? And oh, they make her stand up again. You know, we want to really feel that it's going to rain today. We, we don't want her to be guessing that it's going to rain today. Now, it may seem like... Uh, I don't know, a minor exercise, but it isn't. It it allows that person to see that the way they say things 
just lacks the conviction required for people to listen to you. Mm-hmm. It's that presence. Often we, we, and especially women, they will end their sentences on a high note, which sounds more like a question than an actual statement of what they believe in. Uh, for you, Kathleen, um, you know, you, um, who would you say has been a personal role model of empowered women and, and, and maybe there's more than one and what sets uh, these women apart? It's always difficult to select um, certain women uh, who have influenced my life because there's just so many. <laughs> um, and frankly, it started with my mother. Um, she mm. was four foot 11 she says four foot 11 and a half, but I was always skeptical. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was one of the nicest people you'd ever meet, but uh, you wouldn't want to uh, cross her. Uh, <laughs> and she could stand her own ground. And I, I observed that. And she could do it very often uh, without alienate, alienating the other person. That that is a, a true skill. Absolutely. Now, I was also fortunate to have female professors and teachers, even way back in high school. Um, uh, just a, prof- a teacher who really believed in me, and um, and a, a male chemistry teacher who did as well. And the two of them were very influential. And I taught with Betty for Dan quite a few years ago uh, and Betty uh, you know one of the founders of the women's movement the modern women's movement and author of the feminine mystique uh, Betty was a strong willed character uh, but I learned a lot from working with Betty I learned mm. a lot just by listening to the history of of the women's movement and I learned a lot just by uh, teaching by her side and of course Gloria Steinem and Maya Angelou and and it Mm -hmm. just goes on and on there are so many uh, women uh women that we see in 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 government and uh in the arts uh they all Mm -hmm. bring something and you asked me what is it that they bring uh I guess each one of them I would have yes each one of them brings something a little different uh what they have in common is uh that they are not satisfied <laughs> they mm. are not satisfied with the status quo and they are not afraid to make change and to to lead that change yeah that's what i see as as something they have in common mm-hmm. they 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 have the confidence in their belief, and they're not afraid to speak up and express uh, their their feelings and emotions. Yeah, they might study the situation uh, quite carefully first. Uh, uh, most of these women that I'm talking about are, are very thoughtful people, uh, so they don't just uh, make change to make change, but they uh, they look at the situation. This would be true of Betty Friedan in particular. Uh, she would choose very carefully, as most, most of uh, astute people do, which battles uh, are the ones to be fought. 
you know, and which enemies not to make. Yeah. And I love how you said that each of them also brings something different, because that's really important when we think about stepping into your power doesn't mean that you have to try to be something you're not. You can remain authentic to who you are. And when we remain authentic to who we are, we are more confident because it feels more comfortable and we're able to really step into our power, which is so important to keep that authenticity and not feel that we have to subscribe to whatever society feels we need to be or how we need to be. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the styles would be very different. I mean, another woman that I was influenced by was my mother-in-law, yes. who started a National Victims Center uh, in Pennsylvania and uh, worked internationally to uh, provide protection for women. She was uh, amazing. She was 73 years old, which now seems younger than it did then, but she went to Bosnia. She she, and, you know, if you put my little mother and her together, they look very different. Their styles would be very different. But I'm glad you brought that up, Sandra, because you would learn that um, they, they're really very interesting to listen to them talk to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, but their differences were where I learned. Right. Yes. And it takes a lot of courage to to show up that authentically in. And in all the women that you've described and even your own story speaks to the courage to really show up every day and step into that power. Yeah. Now, we've I'll talked about... Uh, I should name my mother-in-law, Con yes. Connie Noble. Well, my own mother's Elizabeth Reardon. But my... Uh, yes, she, she's impressed. They're both very impressive. Yeah, sounds, they sound like remarkable women who had a yes. great influence on you. Now, we've talked a lot about some of the individual factors around women empowerment. When we think about the workplace, what are the cultural factors that you believe impact women empowerment in the workplace? Um, I have written at some length, you know, as you both know, about uh, politics in the workplace. And the reason why I did that is because uh, earlier on I was working in the area of persuasion and negotiation largely. It became very clear to me um, when I was, uh, well, became clear to me when I was young, but I think as, as I matured into my 30s that you may know how to persuade people. You may be one of the most rational and uh, clear thinking and articulate of people. But if you don't understand the political climate of the organization in which you work, then the likelihood of that skill getting you where you want to get is diminished. Because uh, if you are a person for example, your political style is one of the ones that I talk about is a purist, a person who believes that if you, if you really do your job and you really know your stuff, then you're going to get ahead. And a lot of us start out like that as political purists. But if you happen to be working in a highly political organization where much gets done behind the scenes and uh, who you know has a lot to do with what progress you achieve, and whether uh, the people in power are looking for a certain kind of person and certain kinds of ideas, 
you need to know these kinds of things so that you do not trip up, you know, so that your style is ill-suited to the you know, political arena and, and that you are working in. So that's, that's a really important thing is to open your mind to politics and understand that every organization, even the church choir, I mean, even right. the Girl Scouts, I mean, everybody... Yeah. Wherever there's more than one person, there's usually some degree of politics. And politics is not always a negative thing. But you have to become a student of it if you want to, as uh, one of the many women I interviewed or men that I interviewed for The Secret Handshake, if you want to read the tea leaves, Mm -hmm. if you want to know what's coming from around the corner, if you don't want to be blindsided, you better know politics. Yes in order to really navigate through that environment effectively. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. Now, one of my favorite articles you've written was called, Did You Really Just Say That? Where you shared strategies for women on how to respond on their feet, particularly when put into situations that undermine their credibility. Now, I'm sure my, the listeners can relate, and I know I have found myself in situations in the past where I've been so caught off guard by a comment and didn't know how to address it in the moment. So could you share with our listeners some of the strategies that you shared in the article? Oh, I'd be glad to. Yeah, most of us uh, have moments when we drive home, um, we're driving home and we're, we know exactly what we should have said. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but for some reason we didn't say it. Uh, and then, the, then there's the issue of whether it's too late. And for some people that happens on a regular basis. And uh, for others, uh, it happens enough. Uh, for all of us, it happens sometimes. So p- part of my career really has to be has been to focus on how we use communication. And what do we do? This article in Thrive Global, Global is about how what what you might say when somebody uh, catches you off guard, like you just mentioned. Now, if you there are there. There's a range here. Uh, if you want to make sure you don't go around alienating people, you can use a comment that uh, gives them a chance to reconsider what they've said. So you might say, "I'm taking a moment to be sure I heard you right." And if you say that to somebody, maybe they'll take a moment to uh, think about whether they said it in the way that they wanted to be. Um, you can say this seems like a good time to take a break, you know, to reflect upon uh, what was just said here. Um, you can all you can say something along the lines of of all the things I thought you might say that certainly wasn't one of them. And you can see we're moving a little bit along a, a mm-hmm. continuum of directness here. Uh, you could say if I said what I'm thinking right now, we'd both be out of line. Yes. Um, yeah. Or do you want to run that by me again in a less personal way? And you know, the article was called uh, "Did You Really Say That?" And perhaps that's one of the most useful of these. If you're not <laughs> comfortable with some of right. these other ones, yeah, not, yeah. You know, I've become more comfortable over the years. You just mm-hmm. have to determine whether this person deserves that. But did you really say that? Is not all that offensive. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't really be offensive. Depends on how you say it, of course. 
but uh, I think it's a handy question to have so that uh, so that if you are um, surprised when someone says something to you and it's uh, it's it's not appropriate or perhaps it's sexist or it could be a direct insult mm-hmm. uh, you can use that phrase alone um, and and they may change what they said if they don't change what they said then we go to something else I've written about and that is that there's a, a difference between uh, accidental offense and an insult and mm. if you give somebody the opportunity to change what they've said uh, and they don't then likely you've been insulted and then you can take it up a couple of rungs if you need to uh, women are women for example women are interrupted I, research clearly supports this so women are interrupted far more often than men now if you let that happen over and over i mean if it happens once i mean we all do it once in a while uh, that's no big deal but if you're in a meeting and uh somebody interrupts you a second time you you know other people are watching to see how you handle that situation if they interrupt you a third time and you're still not saying anything you're conveying to other people that you don't have the ability to to handle a tough situation and so they can convert that into well you don't have the capacity for leadership right and who, who wants that so you do have to learn how to, you know, stand up, you know, stand your ground when need be. Sometimes you have to say, did you realize that was the third time you've interrupted me today? <laughs> uh, sometimes you have to say that was the third time you interrupted me today. You did the same thing yesterday. Don't let it happen again. Yeah, especially if it continues happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another comment that I I remember uh, you mentioning, Kathleen, was, uh, and that was quite some years ago when we were talking about how women are referred to as emotional. And uh, you had shared with me, well, you know, if someone say, you know, don't be so emotional. And you'd said, well, you know, if uh, me being passionate about this, you call it emotional, then you're right. I am emotional. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, and it's moments like this that really diminish a woman's presence or rob women of their presence. And so being more planful, because we know moments like this are going to come up that someone may say something that catches Mm -hmm. us off guard. So really thinking about different phrases that you can use in advance so that you are ready and you don't lose your presence in that moment is so helpful. Yeah. And, right. you, and you know, when we refer about uh, having or letting our presence being diminished, you were talking about the importance of understanding the, the political climate in your organization. And in your book, The Secret Handshake, um, you profile the different corporate political climates and how to master the, politi- the politics uh, of the business in- inner circle. You write that one of the obstacles for women is believing that they are best to keep a low profile so they aren't labeled troublemaker. Do you believe this may be one of the reasons women aren't comfortable at self-promotion and fear they will appear boastful? Yes, there's two things in there. Um, Okay. There is a a concern by women and a 
just doesn't seem to go away, um, that we will be troublemakers or loose cannons or, oh, there's a host of words, uh, the phrases. That, but, you know, uh, I can understand that. And certainly when you're newer or younger, you, you want to make sure that you pay attention to what's going on around you and learn how other people sound uh, who are effective and see if you can't adopt some of that, not change your whole self like you were mentioning, Sandra, but, you know, sort of mm -hmm. uh, a, a tweak, <laughs> tweak right. yes. yourself a little bit. Uh, but we can't do, we can't be successful in our careers. Men can't either. If, if, if you live in fear that people are going to, see you as um as a troublemaker you know as somebody who makes waves who's uh and then there's that b word that i won't say uh that women fear that they'll be uh and you know i i, I i've often gotten up in front of groups and said you're looking at this the b word person i you know i i've <laughs> i'm very pleasant very pleasant but um there are times when you you must say things. And if someone interprets it like that, then it's more their fault than likely. It's more likely their fault than it is your fault. Um, you know, and then um, boasting is the other thing. Uh, and I'll refer to research here, even research done at the University of Southern California, where, where I'm from, uh, where there's less tolerance, less acceptance of women uh, talking about themselves in positive ways. Now, anyone who boasts on a regular basis, there, there's a tendency for us in our cultures to bring them down, to say things, like, even if it's humorously. Um, but we're just not used to women. We're, we're just not socialized to be comfortable with women uh, stepping forward and saying, this is what I did. This is what I achieved. I remember uh, interviewing a woman who was a lawyer, and she said that uh, her male colleagues would come back from a case in a courtroom and go to the water cooler uh, and, uh, and start talking about what they did. But the female including herself, females including herself, would go into their office and begin the new project and hope that their work would speak for itself. But there, that just isn't enough. You need to d discover how it is that people are able to convey comfortably in the right setting and in the right way where you work uh, that they have what you have accomplished. I found out one year when I was running the Leadership Institute that um, there was an end-of-the-year memo that used to go out, and people would say what their organizations or divisions had achieved. And so I developed a uh, end-of-the-year memo about the accomplishments of the Leadership Institute. It wasn't filled with the, the word I. It was about the Institute. I went ahead and sent it to everyone that I thought should know, including the president of the university. And I got wonderful feedback because that was an appropriate time in my organization to allow people to hear what had been achieved during the year. 
Sometimes, you know, an organization will have a different time when that's allowed, or you might even be invited to let people know what you've accomplished. And that's not a good time to demure. That's a good time to let people know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Otherwise, somebody else will be promoted over you. Yeah, well, you know, in saying that, uh, we always say that, you know, it's important to create some really good sound bites about yourself. And if you don't manage your brand, other people will manage it for you happily, right? And (laughs) exactly. So, um, so it's important that you know the 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 statement, uh, the statements that we create sometimes on our LinkedIn profile or the company profile. Uh, you know, we not be afraid to speak of our accomplishment or achievements because they're real. And it's not boasting, it's a fact. And there's a difference mm-hmm. between the two. Now, uh, Kathleen, what, adv- uh, what advice would you give our listeners on how to support women's empowerment in the workplace? Well, one of the most important things is to make allies. Um, I wouldn't want to give your listeners the impression that um, uh, men aren't important. <laughs> I mean, I worked with almost all men. Uh, really, there was there there weren't very many women uh, most of the time at whatever level I was at, and much of what I learned was was from men. And even if it was somebody taking me aside and saying, Kathleen, don't ever say that again that way, or we'll give you some junk job, you know? I mean, <laughs> I remember somebody doing that <laughs> and telling me, go, just go in there and tell, tell us you're not going to do what we just asked you to do. Uh, and I, I remember saying, well, I'm kind of new to say just no. And he said, oh, all right, all right. He said, go back in there and say, uh, you know, uh, thanks, wish I could. Uh, but no. <laughs> and I learned, I learned that uh, wish I could was a good phrase to have in my, you know, in, the, in my pocket or in your- arrow in my quiver. Uh, because very often women will be offered jobs they'd like. Many women like to think that if they do enough uh, jobs uh, that they're asked to do, that that will be smiled upon. Uh, and I try to get them to remember three three things. VCR, remember when we used to have those. <laughs> visible, be visible, be central, and be relevant. And make sure that this job you're being asked to do makes you more visible or more central to the important things that are going on uh, and more relevant in some way, Uh, not busy work. That doesn't mean that upon occasion you you can't do something just because it needs to be done, but not as a a regular habit or else uh, once, once again, you undervalue yourself. And I learned a lot of that from men. Men who were my allies um, when I went up for tenure and for full professor where there were no females, surprisingly, even at that, I mean, that wasn't a long time ago. And uh, I got unanimous support from my male colleagues. Uh, So 
I don't want to give the impression that you go around uh, saying things to them that makes them wish you would go away uh, because because you need them. Uh, and, uh, you know, having an ally, having allies, you can't just suddenly create them when you need them. It is a mm-hmm. something that you develop over time. And so that means you have to be an ally as well. And so when some someone that you respect, someone in a position uh, to be helpful to you and I don't, and not in a uh, gratuitous way, but someone that you have high regard for also can be helpful in the future. You, you want to be helpful to them as well. And they notice that there's something we have, and I write about it all in, in the secret handshake as well. And it's called a favor bank. And uh, you can't always be doing favors, uh, you have to get favors as well, and you don't do either un- unless you recognize that it's kind of a, a bank. You're putting some favors in, into someone else's bank that you've done for them, and, and they're putting some mm-hmm. in yours. And then if you, what it, when it is that you, you then pay them back. In terms and most, of yeah, and most people, I think, if you do a lot of favors for for someone, if they have the opportunity to do one for you, they will, because they they, they feel yeah. genuine, you know, that uh, they feel yeah. they're sincere about the help they receive from you, and they would like to reciprocate. Right. And it's and such- this has this has to be separated out from being obsequious. Uh, there's a kind of a fine line there. Some people can misunderstand what I'm saying and think that they should be uh, doing favors for somebody all the time to get ahead. I don't mean that. I really don't think that pays for most people. Yes, I have seen some people benefit from that. Um, You know, mimic the other person, almost be a mini me for the other person, but uh, it's it's not my path. So, and and I think most people don't have that path, so don't want it. So the thing is to learn. How are things done? What I used to do is sometimes is ask myself, how would, how would Frank handle this? If I'm thinking of, if I admire Frank and I like the way he says things and I like the way he gets things done, I don't, I may think how Kathleen would do it, but I'm also going to be thinking how Frank would do it. I'm going to see if I can't get a little bit of Frank into how Kathleen does it. Yeah, it's such it's such great advice to really think about things from other people's perspectives, especially Mm -hmm. leaders you admire. And I absolutely agree with you that we need to have a good balance of male and female allies and male sponsorship as well as we travel through our career, because we can learn a great deal from both leaders, regardless if they're male or female, and really thinking about the leaders that we admire and we want to emulate and what we can take from them. Now, we're hearing it a little bit since the Me Too movement that men in, in some ways are a little bit reluctant to mentor women on their own because of any backlash that they may feel they might experience since the Me Too movement. What advice would you have for men around that? I know that that exists. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're not doing anything wrong <laughs> uh, there's uh, there's not a, a problem um, you know that it's 
Yes, this has been promulgated. You know, don't be in the same room with a woman by herself. I won't name names about who has come up with those, that right. kind of thinking. Uh, but uh, I think that's, that's ridiculous uh, because men need female allies at work as well. We're there. We're not going anywhere. Uh, we're part of the, the power structure. We're part of the good ideas. Uh, we are, um, you, it's best to have us on your side as well. And and so the idea of, uh, you know, I'll only mentor men um, is a very, it's a very narrow-minded uh, way of going about doing business. Yeah, uh, yeah. We know, we, we know that women add to the workforce that, the, that they, uh, and not just because we're team players. Uh, we add to the workforce because of our capabilities. So there's no ignoring us. So let's find a way for us to get through this. And I developed um, uh, the Harvard Business Review has an article about this. And uh, and I have a spectrum of uh sexual misconduct and you can just look on the spectrum and see are you doing any of these things and if you're not doing any of those things then i'd say you're you know you're safe um and if there's misunderstanding you handle the misunderstanding absolutely so, um, I, I i guess i don't sound very sympathetic to that view i understand it but i think it's going to it would do uh people more harm than good than good Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. We're better together. So we need both yeah, both men are. and women we to work together. <laughs> How about right. for you, Kathleen? What would you say has been the most difficult thing to overcome in your professional and personal life? I'll start with my personal life. I, I would say that, uh, well, I got breast cancer when I was only 30. So uh, at that time, I had just published my first book, Persuasion in Practice, and um, it was described uh, in Public Opinion Quarterly as a landmark contribution to the field. And, you know, for a young person, I was kind of on a roll. Mm -hmm. uh, I had just done a study of international business uh, gift customs in negotiation around the world, and it had gotten a 50 million print readership and the time that was quite a lot. And um, there was a lot, there were a lot of positive things happening. And so that was, uh, that was slamming on the brakes, I would say. It, um, but as I mentioned earlier, and I, I, I'm a fighter. If that's boasting, so be it. <laughs> I am a fighter. Uh, my mother is a fighter, as I mentioned. And uh, I don't know any other way to deal with things like that. And so uh, I have used that in my work. And uh, one of the more challenging aspects of my life in, in work uh, was to be taken um, very seriously as as a woman in a business school, um, and I I fought that too, and it worked out very well. I'm I'm a full professor, um, emerita professor, so I I'm happy about that. You know, I had 25 good years after breast cancer. Well, I had to recover, but uh, and and then I had I got Parkinson's, and I think that's from the um, 
radical radiation treatment that I had mm. that was experimental at the time. I can't complain. Um, but, you know, I fight that as well. And sometimes you don't fight it by uh, with anger. You, you know, you fight it by developing other things like painting or, or uh, friendships or, or things that just make your life richer. Uh, with gratitude. So yes. With gratitude. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, Ariana Huffington talks a great, has written fairly often over the last few years about mindfulness and about living in the space you're in. And uh, that's another way to handle situations that are extremely challenging. Mm -hmm. Because if you're always looking at what might be wrong with the next bridge, you can't get across the one right in front of you. Mm. Well when said. it speaks to your resilience, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kathleen, you talk about living in, you know, you quote Ariana Huffington talking about living in the space that you're in. What guidance uh, would you give to women listening to this podcast on how to step into the power of their presence? To know yourself better. Mm. Um, you know, Get to, get to know what aspects of yourself need the tweaking that we talked about. And don't consider that weakness. Consider that um, an opportunity to, to learn and to do better. Uh, ask people, if you don't think that you came across in the way that uh, you had hoped, uh, don't go away in silence. You know, Find out what it is about the way you presented yourself uh, that may not have gotten you where you wanted to be. Hmm. Also know, know what you want because um, don't want something so much that you'll, you know, be whoever they want you to be. That's never good because you're going to always, always feel like you're somebody other than yourself. So if you discover uh, maybe not with great clarity, if you're early in your career, but begin to know, at least what you don't want, and then gradually you'll know what you do want and and aim for that and be willing to take some falls. They hurt. Um, and, uh, you know, you go home and you kind of, you know, bat yourself in the head mm -hmm. and wonder, uh, but that's, but that's what it's all about. I don't meet too many people with smooth roads that really got, you know, went very far. Absolutely. There's always the ups and downs that we have to deal with. And, and I'm wondering, um, you know, I, I know that um, you've been working on a new book that will, um, that has been released. Uh, it's called Damn If She Does. I would love mm -hmm. to hear a little bit about that. Maybe that was part of your meditation and <laughs> your gratitude uh, and acceptance. Yes. <laughs> my, re my reflection, yes. Uh, well, it's the second novel I've written. Um, most of my books prior to that were non nonfiction, but it, it's related because I've been writing about communication and, and about uh, gender issues, um, uh, for, you know, quite a bit. And Damned If She Does has to do with a woman who has kept a secret during her career. Uh, the earlier part of her career. And something very uh, negative happened to her early on when she put uh, trust in 
um, into a senior colleague who missed, uh, who did, who abused that trust. And the book begins by the person who did this to her being found um, actually brutally murdered. And so did she do it? Should she share that history? Is she damned if she does and damned if she doesn't? And it does explore while telling the story uh, where so many women are. Yes, this is the you know Me Too error. And I was listening to Christiane Amanpour the other day, who I listen to uh, just about every weekday because um, she's so intelligent and her interviews are great. And she was speculating as to whether women are willing to come forward and say that something has happened to them in terms of sexual misconduct. And she was hopeful uh, that uh, women are now ready to stand up and speak up. I wonder, and in this book, that issue is raised that when women we're in a time when we should be able to do that but women are still very concerned about that mm-hmm. that that it will forever leave a mark that it uh, that whenever you get up to give a presentation that's what people will be thinking about uh and so how how do you make this decision and in because of what happens to this woman um, whether she's damned if she does or not, she's put in a position of having to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And her brother has joined her and he has become a detective of sorts in trying to uncover who is to blame. Wow. Can't uh, wait to read it. No, it I, so I know. A passionate, a, a very, uh, I'm sure, a page turner and, and, and you also find the time to paint. And I'd love for you to share how painting can be use, a useful outlet for expression. Well, I never thought I would be a painter. I was a chemistry major, but I was also an English major. And somebody told me the brain doesn't work that way. But I, I don't think his brain was working that day because I do think the <laughs> brain can work that way. But uh, then I went into social science and I always was creative in my thinking and with my children and coming up with games and stories and doing things like that. But I, I studied art in college, but I never was an artist. So about 10 years ago, I began to paint and something had happened. I don't know, maybe the neuroplasticity of the brain as they talk about, but I began to paint and Believe me, it wasn't an overnight thing. Uh, I, I didn't see it, but some a woman came along who was a, very, a really great painter, and she told me that she saw something in my painting, and I, I said, "Well, okay." And she said, invited me to come along to her group, and I began to just learn from them. They were so generous, and I just had a knack for it, and I just got better and better. And, and what's wonderful about it is because I paint, I now see there's in the clouds and, and the skies and, and, and aspects of nature 
that I wouldn't have noticed before. And my husband sees them now too. Because <laughs> driving along and I suddenly say, oh, look at that. You know, and, and then I'll, you know, the various colors that, that are, that are out there and, and the composition of landscapes and seascapes. And, and so I've become a watercolorist and a oil painter. Um, I've sold about 200 paintings. Wow. Wow. Much to my surprise. And I do donate them often to, to causes of various types. And, uh, because I'm not intending to become, uh, you know, Van Gogh or anybody like that. Van Gogh, as they say, where I'm sitting at the moment. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, it, it brings me great joy when someone uh, walks up to a painting and says, oh, I, I love this and, and wants to talk about it. And so painting for me has, uh, it's, it's sort of a, it has been a, a, con a conversation again, a way of expressing myself. And fortunately, when you paint, people then talk back to you about those paintings and um, it's, it's been lovely experience really. And I, I'm, I continue to teach myself uh, and challenge myself to, to paintings. And I have a couple of websites where there, where you can see some of them anyway. Wow. So you're not only a prolific writer, but it sounds like you're a prolific painter as well and there must be such a sense of accomplishment when you finish a painting and you look at it uh, there's got to be some pride into it wow you know this is my work and uh, yeah but the, the trouble for me is ma making sure i walk away and and don't try to keep finishing it uh, <laughs> i mentioned my husband a minute ago he'll come by one of my paintings and say just just stop it's perfect. It's Leave beautiful. It alone. Yeah. Don't wreck it. Don't wreck it. Uh, so that's learning that's how funny. not to wreck it. Yeah. And I think anybody who paints knows exactly what I'm talking about. And we'll make sure to, to have stop. a link to, to your painting as well in the show notes for today's show so that our listeners can have a look at, at your artistic talent yeah, as well. Well, thank so, you. Thank you. So, Kathleen, let's wrap with our lightning round. A recent book or author who's impacted how you see the world? That, that's a difficult one. But, um, because I read a lot of books, a book club. Uh, you know, right now I am reading Margaret Atwood's Testament. And mm. I'm hoping that this is not affecting how I see the world. <laughs> uh, what has happened. But, but she's quite a writer and um uh in some ways what she writes about what could happen to women um we could slip back at least uh mm -hmm. if we do not keep moving forward and um you know she's she's a really excellent storyteller and uh obviously there's a lot of people agree with me there's also uh, an author of crime Mysteries, Tana French, um, who's traveled the world, but who lives in Dublin. And uh, she wrote, her first book was In the Woods. Uh, and one of my favorites of hers is called Faithful Place. And she has the capacity to get inside the brain, the mind of people. And, and she's 
I've heard her speak. She she has trouble stopping too. Like I was just saying, <laughs> uh, she, she keeps writing about what they're thinking about. She said, and she could do that for a long time. And, but what I like is that you really do get to know her characters. Very good. Habit or skill most people don't know about you. Well, people who knew me when I was li- when I was a girl know that I used to sing. Mm. Um, I, I'm not going to do a tune for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so as good as it uh, as I. Um, my parents were hesitant to give me singing lessons, and my relatives were pressuring them to do that. But my parents were concerned that I would go off and try to be a singer, and I don't know, fall into yeah. the wrong hands or something. <laughs> but uh, I did uh, sing for a while, and I certainly enjoyed that uh, when I was doing it. Nice choirs. Favorite place to go on vacation. Uh, Some place, not too hot, Mm -hmm. uh, not too cold, uh, warm and um, really near the ocean and beautiful. And there are so many of those. I mean, there's a lot of places not near the ocean, like Paris and other places that I love and Greece and Australia. I've been. I've been to. I'm very fortunate to have traveled quite a bit. Tokyo, um, but I do love the ocean. Just can't seem to live away from it very much or be away I, from it very long. I hear you. The ocean's my happy place too. And what makes you the most hopeful about the future? People who do really good things, like pe- those people who are helping um, after the hurricane in the Bahamas. Yeah. Uh, people that. Uh, that go out of their way to be helpful in Puerto Rico or really just even the stories you sometimes hear about someone who helped the person next door. Um, Or was it the University of Tennessee recently when a boy put UT on his shirt and just, just uh, pinned it on his shirt because he couldn't afford it and didn't have Mm -hmm. a shirt. And he was bullied for it. And so what they did is they just sent him a whole lot of University of Tennessee equipment and T-shirts. And they made a T-shirt that looks like his writing. What oh, he had wow. put. I think that's a, an endearing story and, um, and something that organizations, other organizations and universities and places, uh, you know, would. It'd be great if, I know they do do those things, but, you know, um, any opportunity to be helpful, that that gives me hope. There's a lot of negativity out there, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a lot, of, a lot of people doing very positive yeah. things, a lot of unsung heroes. Yeah. A lot of good people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And just like you and your painting, you know, we, we don't want to oversteer our welcome here. <laughs> and uh, you've provided us with... Uh, so many ins- so many good insights and uh, we're deeply appreciative of your time and uh, to our all uh, to all our listener we invite everyone to sign up on Kathleen's blog uh, it's easy Kathleen Kelly every morning set your intentions toward your dreams some may refer to goals we like the word dreams it sounds more exciting and not so hard to think about 
We hope to meet you in person one day at one of our workshops, or you may even decide that private coaching is more for you. We encourage you to go to our website at corporateclassinc.com for additional resources, blogs, and videos that you may find to help enhance your confidence and your presence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. It's complimentary. And write a review. Thank you for listening to Power Up Your Presence podcast, the passion, the presence, the power. Until next time, power up, step up, lead up.